Hi, you're watching Talking Sense. I'm your host, Alastair Milroy. Today I've got a very special guest, someone I've known from working in Guernsey over the last 10 years, uh, Perrin Carey of Coastier. Welcome, Perrin. How are you today? Hi, Alistair. Uh, it's lovely to be here. So lovely to, to see you. I, I, I have vague memories of us meeting outside Cafe Coco probably nearly a year ago now, was it? We sat there and had a, a sunny coffee in, in Guernsey. So uh, lovely to see you again, albeit remotely. Yeah, we did, because you're, you're, you're dialing in from a long way away today <laughs> in, in the subcontinent. So, which oh, is I am. Incredible, really, isn't it? The, the way our lives have changed in the last few years. This is the world we now live in, isn't it? Um, and I think there are, there are certainly some, some good things and some amazing things about it, but then there's some challenges that we all face, I think, as, as humans, which I think we might touch on as, as part of our sort of discussion later. Um, but yes, Bangalore is where I am at the moment. I've uh, just been up to New Delhi where it was nearly 45 degrees centigrade. Um, come back to a rather uh, temperate Bangalore at 32. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a bit more tropical in Bangalore, I imagine, than Delhi where it's dry, definitely a dry heat. Very um, dry in, in New Delhi, uh, but we've, got, we've had rain here in Bangalore, extremely refreshing. So yes, absolutely. Lovely to, oh, that makes to see you. Lovely to be on the show. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. I mean, let's start from talking about your story because you, like, you know, you're now in fintech, but that's not where you started. So perhaps tell us a little bit about where where that came from and how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I'm often asked, you know, how I found my way into the uh, kind of fintech business, and I would actually probably describe myself if anyone asked me. Uh, as an educator, uh, a teacher, really, uh, a lowly teacher, as my father would probably describe me. Um, you, you know, Perrin never made it much. He just became a teacher. Um, but actually, um, I think that's probably what a lot of us do um, in, in the spaces that we're in. Um, education is key to developing others, developing ourselves. Learning is continuous. Um, so that's probably how I describe myself. Um, so yes, I've had a, uh, a varied career, if one thinks that careers exist anymore. Um, university lecturer, researcher in the biochemical and psychological sciences, um, international education, uh, teaching secondary education, um, and then spent sort of 17 years in the world of, of governance, risk and compliance, which is kind of I guess, tangentially, where we're going to touch on today from a tech perspective. So, so yeah, about 17 years in, in compliance, which I know is quite topical in, in your industry at this moment. Very. I mean, the, the situation with Russia and Ukraine has, I think, brought that to the forefront, I think, certainly on the you know, corporate service provider side, compliance and regulations regulations been with us for some time. Um, but that's really come to life, I guess, as we've seen um, yachts. So, uh, in particular, I think a bit probably one of the higher profile assets that have been seized. I think there's a lot of property being see seized or frozen, um, but that seems to have been much quieter. It's, you know, it can be done off the scene when, when the Italian uh, fisc fiscal police turn up on a 50 or 80 meter or 120 meter yacht. It's, or, or the same in France or Spain, it's, it's straight into the press. So, um, yeah, I think that's brought 
the yachting industry really having to think about who their clients are and in, in a lot more detail than um, you know, and on the front line of management where the funds coming to pay for the crew salaries and the fuel and all the provisioning than than has been the case in the past um, and I'm sure there's lots of uh, lots of very busy compliance professionals working you know with various businesses at the moment to to see their exposure um, yeah so oh, it's it's a booming uh, industry, if one can call it an industry. Um, obviously, you know, most organizations would consider compliance and or indeed risk management from a financial crime perspective to be a, a, a simply a cost to the business. Um, and obviously, you know, your industry is now beginning to see the impact of that cost uh, as a consequence of obviously the conflict. I think it's really fascinating, isn't it, that... Um, you know, financial crime uh, or prevention of, let's say, um, really came to the fore in, in the very late 1990s with various proceeds of crime acts being enforced around the world. And the Financial Action Task Force, which most people refer to as FATF, which is the kind of global governing body on, on prevention of financial crime and, and, and um, terrorist financing. You know, it, it it's 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 grown and grown and grown since those early days um you know i was actually working for the guernsey regulator the, the guernsey financial services commission at the point that uh, they, they brought in these regulations in the late 90s and you know then it was guidance and 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 it was you know you can do this kind of if you want to but we you know we would like to see you you know carrying out some sort of verification checks etc cetera, etc cetera. and nowadays of course you know organizations have have books of, of compliance manuals and policies and procedures and controls and frameworks and committees in order to, you know, function. Um, and I think the reality is, is that that's suffocating so many businesses um, and, and organizations are trying to explore different avenues of, um, you know, what compliance really looks like, um, what it is, or isn't um and, and how to how to bring about a more effective um compliance kind of regime if one wants to put it like that um that doesn't necessarily involve these huge um dossiers of policies procedures and controls and i think this is some of the work that, that i've been doing um over the last i guess probably about five years uh, but in terms of you know, the development work of what Coastia now has probably about three years. Yeah, because that's really important. And I, I saw this in my 16 or 17 years working in the Guernsey financial industry. There's you know, firms trying to catch up with you know, the, hand, the various iterations of the handbook, putting processes in place, often perhaps didn't have the data, you know, it was stored in various distant, different systems. So a lot of that you know, manual forms and, and it, it, you know, trying to do sanction checks on all the people that you might be dealing with in your in your CRM or your client administration database becomes really unwieldy. And I think I think a lot of firms are still trying to make that leap to really being able to automate some of that and, and have data in, in in a way that they can actually, I guess, you know, you have data they can rely on in terms of telling them what the risk is in their book and being able to interpret that rather than. You know, simply having lots of forms flying around and having 
compliance officers trying to, to check them manually, which it's very costly and it's for, for business. Um, I think we've seen that with the large banks. Um, and, I, and I'm seeing recently some calls about you know, how actually effective it's been in terms of you know, and what measurement is being done in terms of you know, has all this additional work and regulation and legislation actually achieved the aim of reducing financial crime? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I think we were talking just before we started recording and we were talking about some figures that were being released, you know, that of the money that's essentially, you know, the proceeds of financial crime floating around the world, you know, less than 1% of that is in fact being recovered, um, you know, by, you know, regulators and financial crime enforcement agencies around the world. And of course, that's a that's an incredibly low percentage um, of the amount. And then, of course, you have to then take into account the costs, as we were talking earlier, the costs that businesses are now undertaking in order to meet the requirements of the regulations that are coming out from regulators all around the world. And once you start adding those two things together, you know, the amount that's being recovered is almost insignificant. So one has to really begin to question as to whether or not these these frameworks, these regulatory requirements, and, and then the, you know, the, the sort of policies, procedures, et cetera, that organizations put in place in order to respond to that, you know, whether they're, they're actually the most effective way of managing this issue. Um, and I think this is something that's weighed on my mind for a number of years, having obviously worked in this industry for, for nearly two decades. And I think what I've come to the conclusion is, is that um, every single organization on the planet is simply a group of human beings. And what yeah. legislation is trying to do, what regulations are trying to do, is human behavior and human decision making. Um, and legislation and regulation merely responds to the culture in which we exist in. Um, you know, if we, if we didn't see, uh, for example, you know, people, uh, you know, you know, sadly being killed by other people, we wouldn't have laws to prevent murder. But the reason we have laws is because human behavior steps outside of acceptable cultural frameworks. And therefore, legislation comes along and tries to squeeze us back in. And this is somewhat what financial crime frameworks have been uh, designed to do. And of course, legislation is always catching up with current culture. So what's interesting from my perspective is, well, what if we actually took the mantle and said, well, let's steer culture rather than let's try and manipulate after the fact. Um, so this is a, the large work that, that Coasty has been doing. We've been looking mm. at the interaction essentially between the, the culture that exists within a group of humans. So every organization um, and how that culture um, influences the decision-making and the behaviours um, and, and essentially how effectively we put um, our uh, procedures or operational procedures into, into action. Uh, what we call um, operational or organisational murmuration. Um, do, you know, do you know murmuration? Have you heard of murmuration? I, I've, I've seen lots of murmuration on, from you, Perrin. Um, <laughs> And I, yeah, so it comes from the, the movement of migration of birds. Yeah, and 
Absolutely. So, you know, the beautiful spectacle on a, especially in, in, in England or even in the US, you know, uh, of, an, of an evening when we see starlings, you know, up in the, the, the sky in the horizon and, and they, they, they form these incredible patterns in the sky. And I, as a, as a biological scientist, I was quite interested in, in, in how this happened and how it worked. Um, and what we've done at Coast here is we've taken um, some of the, the, the sort of evolutionary psychology that sits behind uh, memoration of starlings. We've looked at how organizations operate as human beings uh, with human behavior, uh, and we've integrated them. Um, so what we can now do is, is um, using some uh, a clever, uh, cleverly designed survey instrument um, and some very, very clever mathematics. Um, what we've actually constructed as a way of measuring how well an organization is murmurating uh, and actually therefore how well they're actually complying, for example, with corporate governance codes around the world. Um, and we can give some really uh, useful insights to an organization, for example, on their agility, their cohesion, uh, the collaboration that's going on inside their organization. And it's all done from a scientific perspective of looking at um, human behavior um, and, and psychology and, and connecting that um, with essentially the, the need to be able to form both an individual and as an organization in an open market. So yeah, it's been a fascinating journey from, from it, compliance it, into tech. It's, in, it's really interesting and around the whole regulatory space because we've, you know, anyone who's worked in um, trust, funds or this sort of regulated environment over the last 15 years. I mean, we've seen, you know, companies and particularly in places like, you know, Guernsey and, and other jurisdictions, the Crown Dependencies generally, there's been a lot more fines and public statements come out. There's been, you know, and that, that creates, a, you know, as humans, we all go, you know, we've got mortgages, we've got families. It, it, it does create fear. And you see that, you, you know, I've certainly experienced that fear within organisations of, Gosh, we don't want that to happen to us, and that drives mm -hmm. the, you know, the behaviour, and and yeah, not often not in a positive way. It's really interesting, you know, transferring this to yachting. It's a in a yacht on a on any yacht, it's you know, you've got people who are living very closely together, working very closely together, long, you know, often long hours, particularly when you've got guests and you're chartering, um, you know, quite quite a high stress and, and a, an unnatural environment in terms of. You don't get to step out away. We, you know, when you're working in a, in a normal career, you you get to walk away from that. And I think it's really interesting for the for both management organisations and and yachts themselves is you know, to be able to measure what you know, perhaps what's going on in the team, and then what those drivers are that you can use to. You know, if we do this, how will that impact? Productivity. I mean, mental. You know, and I'm going into the whole whether it's mental health on board, mm. which is a big topic. Um, you know, trying to retain crew because you know there's the the industry's seen a boom, so we're looking at a, you know, needing a lot more crew, and then that leads you to say, you know, how, how do we stop this leakage of people leaving the industry because you know they they need a change in lifestyle. Um, yeah. So is that something that you're you can measure with the technology that you're building yeah you, you've touched on so many things i don't even know where to begin but um <laughs> let me let me touch on the thing that you just finished with which was obviously you know the challenges that all industry but clearly your industry is facing in terms of um retaining crew 
um, and ensuring the well-being of that crew. And, and obviously those two things are inextricably connected. You know, that, that if, you, if you're creating an environment, a culture, where the well-being of your crew is seen as, as important, and there's, there's evidence, there's manifested evidence of that importance, then you're going to reduce your crew turnover. Um, so yeah, one of the things that, that um, what, what we're doing is we're, we're making a connection, we're drawing a scientific understood connection between the culture that exists within an organization, so within crew set, and, and also, you know, what effects does that have on things like the performance of that crew, um, you know, the, the retainment of, of the staff, you know, all of these types of aspects. So absolutely. So when we when we survey um, organizations and, and they go through the process, we, we collect uh, essentially the data from the people. Uh, and then we also collect uh, various organization statistics, um, you know, sort of demographics, financial performance, and what we call human performance indicators, um, like staff turnover. Um, so I can give you a, a, a quick case study. Um, we work working a, a law firm within Benzing. And essentially what we did was an initial assessment um, and they identified uh, three factors that they needed to work on, bearing in mind that we measure 27, but we were able to, to identify the most important and, and, and influential factors for that organisation. They went away and they worked on those factors for, for about three to six months. Um, and, and we were, were brought in back into to measure again, obviously, as part of the continuity. And um, we actually saw an uplift in every single indicator uh, of, of culture, of quality of decision making and, and of quality of the implementation of those decisions. So although we were only working on three facets of the 27, because we know those things are all interconnected, and because we have a, a scientific understanding of how they're interconnected, um, we could um, steer that organization to very strategically focus their financial resources on where to spend their money to get the maximum uplift. And they saw a, a, literally a 10% rise in all of the indices uh, that we measure. Um, and we're beginning now to see, because obviously, you, you know, organizational performance will always lag behind these changes. Uh, but we're now beginning to see an, uh, an uplift in some of those organizational performances. So that organization had seen quite a high level of staff turnover. So it's people have been leaving. Um, and actually, since they um, implemented some of these strategies, not a single person has left. And in fact, they've had three people join. Um, so they've had a lot more so, or engagement with their, with, the, with their team members. Absolutely. And, and I guess, you know, ultimately, we're all in business and yeah, we're... Uh, me as an accountant and accountants love, love is, is actually sees an improvement in the in the performance of the, the organization uh, financially as well this isn't just you know, it's, you know this leads on to actually the health and well-being financially of the the organizations we're talking about absolutely and, and we we like to see organizations as, as organic you know they are truly organic and and they need to be flexible and adaptable because the environment around them is changing constantly you know, the, the, the pandemic over the last two years, you know, the, the recent conflict, you know, uh, other effects of, of, you know, around the world in terms of, you know, poverty and climate change and, and the impact on food being moved around the world. You know, these things are having huge impacts on us as, as humans, both in terms of our mental and our physical health. And I think, you know, leaders and organisations are now having to really 
recognize that, that, that they have a responsibility that goes far beyond um, their shareholders, um, you know, which obviously, you know, has been in existence probably, you know, for, for near on 70 years, you know, the, the, the shareholder primacy model of business, you know, that, that, has, that is absolutely evaporating. And I think, you know, businesses are really having to look at, and, and I don't necessarily like the word, but, but people understand the word of, of, of looking beyond shareholders to all stakeholders, um, uh, you know, across, across them. And, and that brings the, the concept of, of the E of the environment, you know, looking environmentally and sustainably to the earth. We look at the S of social, you know, how, how is our business interacting socially with the world? And I don't just mean CSR. I'm talking about the human beings in your organization, their, their family, their friends, you know. So if you've got a team of 50 in your organization, you're actually having a, an influence. Your culture in your organization will have an influence on probably 400 people because it's, it's them and their families and maybe their children. And, you know, so, so the way that they're being treated and their health and work is having an effect on, on far beyond. And then the G of ESG, of course, which is, which is this word that no one really understands, which is governance, um, which is what we're trying to essentially humanize. Uh, so we don't talk about governance anymore. We talk about human governance, um, bringing the humanity back into organizations. Yeah. And that's really creating the culture or having a, a strong culture. So it's not just about following a pro, you know, the processes are there, but they, they fit within a framework of doing what fits within the values of the organization or whatever that, that organization may be. And, um, and that's really interesting from a, you know, again, in yachting, we often see the, the headlines of the negative side of yachting. What, what we don't see is the number of, you know, jobs that even a single yacht creates through its build, through its um, you know, its life of being serviced, the crew that are yes. on it, the people who provision it, the, you know, the tenders, the restaurants where the guests go, all of that would not be possible without that, without those yachts. It, it, it's, it has a massive or can have a massive positive flow. Um, and I think, I think that's something the industry is really looking at and, how it measures that going forward, along with environment, you know, certainly the other side, that's the environmental cost. And um, so you know, these aren't environmentally friendly assets currently, but I think there'll be a move as we see new generations of wealth come through to look at how that can be made more sustainable. Um, but that's a big challenge for the industry. Yeah, I'm sure that is a, an absolute challenge. And of course, I think connecting the E with the S with the G is the you know when you see organizations that are truly working hard to make the interconnection between those three that's when i think organizations that are truly going to lead in in five or ten years time you know those that that are and i, I don't like the expression but those that are ticking the box of the e we're, we're doing things environmentally friendly but we're not really thinking about our impact on society uh, we're not really thinking about how we're governing ourselves and our people well, you know, that, that's not sustainable, um, you know, but I think, you know, we, we're coming across them in Coastia um, and, and of course we have the capacity to, to measure them and to say, well, you know, we can actually begin to quantify how well you're doing this. Um, then, of course, it, it becomes real life almost, doesn't it? You know, you, you, you can see these things in colours and numbers on a screen um, and OK, they don't tell you the whole story. Uh, but at least they they give you something to to work off and to work with, um, and I think this is what we're 
this is what we're doing um, and, and hoping to influence society, organisations and the well-being of, of people in those organisations for the future. Fantastic. And to finish, so, Kostia, you're, you're through a first round of investment. Uh, you're, you're building the technology and, and working, obviously, with organisations at the moment. It's, it's a cloud-based model. Um, just I think your accounting is probably also cloud just because you wouldn't be able to keep on on top of your numbers <laughs> if, if it wasn't um, with all the moving around that you're doing. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a cloud-based uh, piece of technology. Um, we work uh, in partnership with organizations in Guernsey who support us, but also obviously we're looking here in India as well. Um, essentially, um, yeah, we we provide the services to uh, clients direct, um, but our main, I guess our main uh, sort of fee source income that we're looking at through our business development at the moment is what we call licensed partners. So these are organizations that obviously um, have their own clients um, that they want to support and service. Um, and we obviously have a piece of technology which uh, can help those partners, those essentially business or management consultants or however you want to phrase yourselves. Um, you, you know, you will be wanting to support your clients in the, the best way possible that's the most cost effective. Um, well, our piece of technology is incredibly cost effective. Um, mainly it's because a it is subscription based model for, for the end user. Yep, subscription-based model, um, you know, over a year based on number of people in your organization. Um, you know, if, if you think, you know, to bring in uh, one of our infamous audit firms to come and assess and measure and, and uh, give some indication on your sort of, you know, governance compliance, but also your governance performance, you know, you'd be talking, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, it's a fraction of that. Um, what we believe so that, that pales into insignificance when you think of some of the costs of you know regulatory intervention or, or having to be you know told to do that through through enforcement routes etc for you know for, for regulated firms but um yeah it's a very cost cost effective way of measuring the health of your organization and the health of your your people ultimately Absolutely. And I think this is this is the driver for many fintech models, isn't it? You know, it, it's it's creating a, a more cost effective way of doing something, not to not to reduce, you know, the, the need for human um, involvement, you know, not to not to say that suddenly companies need to, you know, lay off staff. In fact, the opposite, you know, what, what we're trying to encourage is, 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 is a more flexible approach to employing people. Um, and, and that there are ways of doing that and, and we can begin to support organizations in the measurement of, of, of how they can do that change in their culture so actually organizations end up employing um, more people um, but just in a way that suits uh, suits those people suits those humans more um, so you know we have seen this um, in, in some of the clients that we've worked with um, so absolutely yeah cost effective fintech approach to to measuring what was previously thought unmeasurable Great. I'm just looking at the time. It's uh, it's been a fantastic session. Pretty interesting. Very different for, I think, maritime, but something to really to think about um, for you know, how how yacht management firms and how even at a yacht a single yacht level how how people potentially measure their culture on, on board and look to improve 
the well-being of their employees and you know, ultimately the, the compliance safety and the culture on board and hopefully that that helps with as an accountant from from the costs and <laughs> you know, measuring that because there's you know that cost of staff turnover and there's extra costs if, if thing if you don't have a happy crew um i can i'm pretty sure that will reflect in how much it's costing to run run a vessel so um Karen, thank Absolutely. you very much for coming on on the show today. You've been watching Talking Sense. I'm Alistair Milroy. Karen and Coasty's information will be uh, shared when the show goes live, uh, along with mine. And if you have any questions for either Karen or myself, then we'd be delighted to take them. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and see you next week.